Hello, I'm Emily Hawthorne, a Stratfor Middle East and North Africa analyst at RAIN. This podcast is brought to you by RAIN Worldview, powered by Stratfor, the world's leading geopolitical intelligence platform. Learn more at worldview.stratfor.com. You're listening to RAIN's Essential Geopolitics Podcast, powered by Stratfor. I'm Emily Donahue. The hacker group Moses Staff in September began targeting Israeli organizations. Their goal? Not ransom, but chaos. The group wants to cause damage to Israeli businesses. This is a development our security analysts have been monitoring closely. I'm joined now by Sam Lichtenstein, Stratfor Director of Global Security Analysts at RAIN. Welcome back, Sam. Hey, Emily, thanks for having me. What can you tell us about this group and what makes it different? So what's distinctive about Moses staff is not necessarily the techniques it used. Uh, what we learned from the U.S.-Israeli cybersecurity firm Checkpoint on November 15th was that this group was using encryption, data theft, and data leaks, uh, which are all frequent tactics of ransomware and other cyber criminal groups. But what is unique about Moses staff that Checkpoint points out is that the group does not actually demand ransoms. Uh, Instead, it openly states that it is acting on behalf of the Palestinian resistance and, quote, seeking to expose the crimes of Zionists in the occupied territories. Now, while Checkpoint was unable to attribute Moses staff to a specific nation state or either larger criminal group, What we actually then learned the following day on November 16th from Microsoft was that they've been attributing Moses staff to an Iranian-backed advanced persistent threat group. So even though Checkpoint wasn't able to attribute it, Microsoft seems to be operating on the assumption that it is in fact backed by Iran, which would of course dovetail with the group's actions. Sam, how does Moses staff fit into larger trends in the cyber domain in terms of crime, espionage, hacktivism, that kind of stuff? So what's interesting about Moses staff, Emily, is that this is not the first group we've seen of its nature, but it's certainly the most recent and perhaps the most uh, the best example of this type of really hacktivist group. So, of course, we're all very familiar with criminal groups. Uh, you can't go through another news cycle without hearing something about cybercrime, particularly, of course, ransomware attacks. And we're also very familiar with groups that are backed by nation states that conduct espionage, whether they're from Russia, China, North Korea, or Iran in this case. Uh, And that espionage can, of course, be to steal economic trade secrets, to conduct political espionage, a whole host of things. What we're now seeing a resurgence of, though, is what we've been referring to as hacktivism, which is essentially cyber groups that portray an ideological or political motivation uh, rather than seeking to either get money or go for some sort of espionage purpose. So they're really trying to portray themselves as acting on behalf of a higher ideology. Um, What we've seen, of course, previously that a lot of listeners may be familiar with is a group like Anonymous, which is a decentralized hacktivist collective that first gained widespread attention way back in 2008 when it targeted the Church of Scientology, uh, but then, of course, since then has been very well known for a variety of cyber hacktivism, uh, and that type of hacktivism has increased recently as well. 
So this is something that's, of course, global. Uh, we've seen cyber hacktivists uh, gain attention during the summer of 2021 for a variety of reasons. We saw, for instance, uh, cyber partisans in Belarus, which were a group of Belarusian dissidents that continue uh, to target the Belarusian regime to either leak troves of sensitive data uh, or secret recordings of officials discussing uh, using violence against protesters. We've also seen here in the United States uh, leftist uh, hacktivist groups that are targeting right-wing organizations. For instance, uh, Epix, uh, which is a site that's popular with far-right organizations, was targeted by Anonymous uh, in September. And Anonymous said it basically leaked what it called a, quote, decades worth of data from this web hosting company. Uh, and it said that it was trying to, quote, trace the actual ownership and management of the fascist side of the internet. Now, this is not something we've just seen in Europe or the U.S., but, of course, also in the Middle East. Uh, and Moses staff is not the first group of its type to go after Israeli companies and interests. Uh, perhaps even better known uh, is what's been called Black Shadow. Uh, and this is a ransomware gang that's carried on a number of attacks against Israeli organizations that not only uh, seek to make a political point in targeting Israelis specifically, but they're also seeking to gain monetary compensation by actually taking ransoms. So Black Shadow is kind of one of these more blended groups, whereas what's really unique about Moses staff is that it doesn't even demand a ransom, but is simply very clearly saying that it's motivated by ideology. And that's what makes it distinctive and a bit of an evolution uh, in this particular threat environment. Sam, what other cyber developments can we expect going forward? Or in other words, what do organizations have to worry about? Sure. So what we should expect in the broad sense, Emily, is that given that this is the online environment, it will not remain static. It is going to be dynamic. It is going to be an evolution in tactics that is going to eventually pose a simply wider threat to a wider group of organizations. Uh, one thing that, of course, we should expect to see is other hacktivist groups like uh, Moses staff uh, that are going to continue to borrow tactics that ransomware actors and other cyber criminal groups have used, including using things like encryption to disrupt networks really without any sort of financial motivation. And this is, of course, going to pose a growing threat to a larger list of businesses. But if we're actually looking at kind of the overall future, there are four main trends that I would say you could expect to see from this kind of hacktivist ransomware uh, collision of worlds. The first is simply that they're going to be more perpetrators. Uh, ransomware and similar hacktivist activity is not going to be limited uh, to these type of nation-state-backed groups or cyber criminal groups, for that matter. Uh, you're going to start to see more niche groups develop, whether it's um, anti-government groups in specific countries, like I mentioned already we've seen in Belarus. In fact, Iran has actually suffered a number of cyber attacks from what are suspected to be domestic uh, anti-government cyber groups. Uh, so we should expect to see more of these type of niche groups emerge, uh, not only within countries uh, that are targeting their own governments that they have issues with, uh, but also particularly targeting governments and companies uh, in other countries that they have grievances against. And that leads to the second main development, more targets. 
uh, if the motivations for these type of hacktivist attacks is not really for monetary gain, but instead to make an ideological point, that puts a whole host of organizations at risk that previously may not have been attractive targets uh, if they didn't have clear monetary benefit. So whereas big companies may be the prime targets for ransomware gangs today because, of course, they have the financial ability to pay out large ransoms, if instead the motivation for hacktivists is ideological, then you're going to see a far wider group of organizations, uh, some of which have absolutely no relation uh, to the grievance at all, but are simply in the country where these hacktivists have a grievance against. The third thing I'd say is then more demands. Uh, previously, we've seen, of course, mainly monetary ransoms being the primary goal. Uh, but as you start to see ransomware and hacktivism collide more and more, you can start to think through all sorts of other demands that groups can make. So, for instance, instead of trying to uh, either extort a monetary ransom or, say, simply take over a company's website and uh, deface it with some sort of propaganda, you could see hacktivist groups start making political demands like you need to free these prisoners or you need to remove troops from this territory. Uh, that's not to say they'll be successful, uh, but as we've seen demands escalate in other forums, say, for instance, what terrorist groups or insurgents groups demands, there's no reason to believe that cyber activists wouldn't be doing the same. And then the final thing, and this may be perhaps the most concerning, is that these type of activities actually may become more accepted. Uh, what I mean by that is that if faced with the choice between kinetic violence or cyber hacktivism that can be disruptive but not necessarily have violent impacts in the real world, it's conceivable that a number of governments are going to start to perceive that that choice between two evils, the lesser one is actually the cyber hacktivism uh, that at least does not pose a lethal threat. Now, this isn't to say, of course, that this is a positive element or that it's going to become regular or regularized, but... As it becomes more and more widespread, if it's seen as becoming increasingly accepted, that's going to make it all the more likely to continue to proliferate. Sam Lichtenstein is Stratford Director of Global Security Analysts at RAIN. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Emily. You can stay abreast of security risks with RAIN Worldview, powered by Stratfor. Right now, we have a special offer for subscriptions. Find out more at stratfor.com slash worldview. That's stratfor.com slash worldview. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening.